What does the Bible teach about Egypt? Is this ancient Bible land important today? Yes, indeed it is. Egypt is important, not only in the end times, but also during the soon coming 1000 year rule of Messiah Jesus. Welcome to the exploits program. The Bible says the people who know God will be strong and carry out exploits. And in order to do exploits for the Lord, we must know this Bible. I'm Christine Darg, and in this program, we'll look at Egypt in Bible prophecy. Egypt is mentioned with negative connotations in much of the Bible. For example, the Bible often forbade its leaders to go down to Egypt to put their trust in the arm of flesh in Egypt. And of course, one of the greatest of all Bible narratives was when the children of Israel shook the dust of Egypt off their sandals as they made a big exit out of Egypt on their way to the promised land. With Moses' words echoing in the ears of Pharaoh, let my people go. Egypt, which enslaved the Israelites, was seen as the Bible's great antagonist to God's people. And Egypt is often used as an example by Bible authors of getting into the flesh versus walking in the spirit. But our God delights to pour out his grace upon even his enemies. And Bible prophecies show a much brighter future for Egypt. After all, don't forget, Egypt is also the land that gave refuge to the young Jesus and Mary and Joseph, when they were fleeing from the wrath of Herod. And Jesus may have taken his very first steps in the land of Egypt. That's one reason why I personally like to follow in his footsteps, to evangelize in Egypt. Egypt is not only a Bible land, but I believe it's the jewel of Africa for evangelists. One of the main prophetic chapters in the Bible is the oracle concerning Egypt in Isaiah chapter 19, which begins with these poetic words, Behold, the Lord is riding on a swift cloud and is about to come into Egypt. The Lord prophesies by his spirit that he will do major exploits in the land of Egypt and probably within our lifetime. Isaiah 19 predicts that Egypt will have been given over to a fierce king, and that king some Bible scholars interpret to have been the prophet and the subsequent caliphs of Islam. But Isaiah 19 also says that the Lord himself will smite Egypt and then he will heal Egypt. It's interesting that not every nation in this world is promised a national salvation, but Egypt definitely is promised by God national salvation. We see in verses 25 in, in uh Isaiah 19, this beautiful prophecy. In that day, Israel will be one of three with Egypt and Assyria, a blessing in the midst of the land, whom the Lord of hosts shall bless, saying, Blessed be Egypt, my people, Assyria, the work of my hands, and Israel, mine inheritance. 
Throughout the ages, Egypt has symbolized false religion and the very depths of paganism, such as the cult of the dead, sun worship, pyramid power, mummies, and myths. But a change is coming according to Bible prophecy. Egypt will become a symbol of pure worship of the true God of the Bible. Isaiah 19 and verse 19 and 20, Isaiah talks about an altar and a pillar that will be a monument, a sign, a witness to the Lord of hosts in the land of Egypt. And so Egypt will be known for its worship of the God of the Bible, the God of Israel. And all of Egypt's familiar occult connections will be banished and forgotten. By studying Isaiah 19 and other prophetic scriptures, we understand that the drama that's currently playing out in Egypt is part of God's end-time plan. Eventually, Egypt and Iraq are destined to become some of the most favored Gentile nations, along with their neighbor, the nation of Israel. Egypt's national destiny is decreed in Isaiah 19. In this chapter, God reveals his plan to unify Israel, Egypt, and Assyria. And what truly astounds me is that the titles once reserved exclusively for God's chosen people, Israel, are granted to these other nations. Egypt will be called by God, my people, and Assyria will be referred to by God as the work of my hands. May the Lord open our eyes to see these nations as he sees them. His ultimate plan is to unite them in a big messianic league. Egypt will also have a key role to play in the millennium when Jesus rules this world from Jerusalem. Over in the prophecies of Zechariah chapter 14, Zechariah mentions that all the nations of the world will come up to Jerusalem to worship the Lord and to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. And Egypt is specifically mentioned. Zechariah says that if Egypt does not send up representatives to Jerusalem, God will judge their rebellion by not sending rain upon that desert land. The prophet Zechariah especially mentioned Egypt because, after all, Egypt was the nation that has showed the greatest hostility to God and his people in the past. And here's a great irony. Those who had tried to exterminate God's people will now be converted and required in the millennium to go up to Jerusalem. These are the survivors, a remnant, who were previously enemies of Messiah and the Jews, but now they are preserved, despite the fact that the majority of the world's population will have been destroyed. This remnant, having witnessed the terrible judgments of the soon-coming tribulation period, will now be truly humbled, shaken, and converted and they will give glory to the God of heaven and to his King Messiah, Jesus, Yeshua. Hallelujah to the Lamb. However, presently the Lord is starting to bring about all of this by shaking his hand over Egypt. What we've been witnessing on the news is a foretaste or perhaps a partial fulfillment of the prophecy of the Lord shaking his hand over Egypt as prophesied in Isaiah chapter 19. Let's look at verses 16 and 17. In that day, Egypt will be afraid because of the shaking of the hand of the Lord of armies, which he waves over Egypt. 
The Hebrew word here means moving the hand or fist back and forth, literally shaking. And the land of Judah will be a terror to Egypt. The mention here of the Lord's hand brings to my mind over in the New Testament in uh, Acts chapter 4 and verses 29 to 31, a prayer. And this New Testament prayer is so vital for us to decree right now over Egypt's Christians because persecution against Egyptian Christians has been increasing alarmingly. That prayer in Acts chapter 4 is, Lord, grant to your servants that they with all boldness may speak your word and stretch forth your hand to heal, that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken and they were all filled with the Spirit. Let's pray this for our brothers and sisters in the church in Egypt. And now let's go back to Isaiah 19 to verse 17. Remember, remember I just read that the land of Judah will bring terror to the Egyptians. Everyone to whom Judah is mentioned will be terrified because of what the Lord Almighty is planning. It's notable that mainly only the tribe of Judah has actually returned to the land of Israel, and most of the remaining lost tribes are yet to come home. And so we see here in Isaiah 19 that the land specifically of Judah will become a terror to Egypt. Also in this chapter, we learn that five cities in the land of Egypt will speak the language of Canaan. And some Bible scholars say that means Hebrew. And the Egyptians will swear by Yehovah, the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel. One of these cities that will speak the language of Canaan will be called the city of destruction. And again, Bible scholars say this is Heliopolis. How do we interpret these verses? Some Bible scholars have speculated that Egyptian believers will be inspired by the Holy Spirit to learn Hebrew in preparation for when the Jews seek refuge from the Antichrist in the future. Or perhaps the Egyptians will learn Hebrew in preparation for the millennium when Jerusalem becomes the worship capital of the world. And of course, Hebrew is already the main language spoken again in Jerusalem. Still another interpretation is that the Hebrew-speaking Judahites who become such a terror to Egypt will actually occupy those five cities after a war in which the Antichrist forces are subdued. Well, those are just prophetic speculations, but we can safely predict that Isaiah chapter 19 describes the bigger picture that will surely come to pass and that is God's desire for a messianic league incorporating Egypt with Israel and the territory of ancient Assyria. Some Bible scholars say that territory includes present-day Iraq, as well as some areas of Syria, Jordan, and possibly even Turkey. As I read and study prophecy, in the Old Testament books of Daniel and Isaiah, Israel's government will tragically 
enter into a dangerous covenant in the last days with the coming world dictator known in the Bible as the Antichrist. This unfortunate covenant or false peace treaty is named in Isaiah chapter 28 and verse 18 as a covenant with death. That means tragically, Israel will make an agreement with the Antichrist world leader for seven years before the second coming of King Jesus. However, a faithful remnant of Israel will resist this covenant of death, which will be a peace treaty not worth the paper it's written upon. In fact, the final seven years of this age were revealed by the angel Gabriel to Daniel the prophet in Daniel chapter 9 and verses 24 to 27. And here it's predicted and many Bible scholars believe that after uh, the death of Messiah is prophesied in this chapter, that Antichrist is prophesied and that he will confirm a covenant, a peace treaty for one week. That's Bible code language for seven years. But in the middle of the week, or in other words, after three and a half years, he will bring an end to the sacrifice in the rebuilt Jerusalem temple. Thus, Antichrist will break the covenant and the Jews will realize that they have been double-crossed. Also, according to Daniel chapter 11 and verse 40, at the time of the end, the king of the south, and, and most Bible scholars say that refers to Egypt, Egypt will attack the Antichrist. Now, the coming revival in Egypt is further described in Isaiah chapter 19 and verses 19 to 22. In that day, there will be an altar to the Lord in the midst of the land of Egypt and a pillar, a monument to the Lord at its border. It will be for a sign and for a witness to the Lord of armies in the land of Egypt. For they will cry to Yehovah, the God of Israel, because of their oppressors. And he will send them the Savior, a mighty one, and he will deliver them. Yehovah will strike Egypt. The God of Israel will strike Egypt, but heal Egypt. They will return to Yehovah, to the God of Israel. Wow, what a major revival that's going to be. Don't you want to be a part of praying it in? I certainly want to be a part of the revival in Egypt and to do exploits there. And that's why our ministry has spent so much time in Egypt praying, evangelizing, and helping to prepare the way of the Lord. These verses in Isaiah 19 speak of a spirit of great revival that will be released in the future upon Egypt before the Lord returns resulting not only in deliverance from the coming ruler, the Antichrist, but a great national revival of repentance, healing, and turning from the darkness of false religion to the light of the Lord who comes into Egypt upon a swift cloud, his glory cloud. And then a glorious highway without any borders will be built starting from Egypt going through Israel and all the way up to the modern territory of ancient Assyria. Verse 23 of Isaiah 19 declares, In that day there will be a highway from Egypt to Assyria, 
and the Assyrian will come into Egypt and the Egyptian will go into Assyria and they will serve the Lord together with Israel. The Bible gives information that reads just like current news reports. In fact, in Psalm 83, that Psalm describes the neighboring enemies of Israel and how they conspire together to try to destroy the Jewish state. I remember when Egypt signed its peace treaty with Israel in 1979. But prior to the signing of the peace treaty with Israel by Egyptian President Anwar Sadat, for which he was murdered, Egypt had fought during Israel's War of Independence in 1948. And Egypt attacked Israel again in 1956. And again in the Six Days War in 1967. And yet again, Egypt attacked Israel in 1973 in the Yom Kippur War. Egypt is mentioned in Psalm 83 as one of the neighboring nations that tries to wipe out and conspires to make the name of Israel to be remembered no more. But Egypt failed. Some Bible teachers say that the Psalm 83 war has already happened and that the neighbors of Israel have been neutralized, defeated, or brought into peace treaties, and that the big war of Ezekiel chapters 38 and 39 is now looming on the horizon. The Ezekiel war is an invasion of the land of Israel by enemies who are further afield than Israel's immediate neighbors, enemies such as Iran and Russia. Egypt is noticeably absent from the participants mentioned in the war of Ezekiel chapters 38 and 39. Jesus said that in the last days there would, of course, be wars and rumors of wars. He said events in the last days would follow rapidly upon one another, like birth pangs, becoming increasingly hard and more painfully intense. And while there have always been wars and rumors of wars, now the powder keg is back in the beginning and the Bible lands just as the Lord predicted. Soon there will arise on the world stage the Antichrist, who is also called the Beast. But Jesus told us repeatedly not to be afraid, because he has not only overcome the world, but he has promised to return and to collect those of us who have patiently waited for him, because we are not appointed to wrath. I do believe that the Bible teaches the rapture of the prepared, watching saints prior to the outcoming of God's wrath on this earth and the rule of Antichrist. What is God's purpose in allowing all of this? Why does God permit the Antichrist to arise even for a short season? I believe it's because much of mankind is in a frame of mind to be rid of God and his moral law. The secular humanist movement believes we're on the verge of a great golden age. If only it weren't, for those intolerant conservatives and Christians. So God will accommodate the humanist and give them exactly what they want. He'll remove the true believers and give the world an opportunity to govern itself without God. But the result will not be utopia. It will be chaos and literal hell on earth. So as we watch this world literally rocking and reeling and 
shaking with sin, earthquakes, tsunamis, hurricanes. I invite you to trust in the Lord with all of your heart and trust his word that the government of the world will rest upon the, the shoulders of the Prince of Peace. And in the meantime, pray that the relationship between the most favored Middle Eastern nations mentioned in Isaiah 19 will be deeply reconciled. Pray that Israel's longest standing enemies will be fully reconciled, bringing about the one new man comprised of Jew and Gentile together in Messiah, making peace. We need to pray also for the protection of the harvest of souls in these nations and for the protection of our Christian Arab brethren from fanatical religious forces working behind the scenes in Egypt to bring about an Iranian-style revolution. Pray also, please, for the work of evangelism of exploits and ministry in Egypt. I need you to stand with me because when the crisis in Egypt began, I was communicating again with our contacts in Cairo for the staging of more gospel events. We must work while we can. And especially pray that you will be ready for when Jesus comes suddenly as a thief in the night to take his own bride, to remove the true believers from this world. If you're not ready, you don't want to be left behind to be under the rule of Antichrist. So call upon the name of the Lord Jesus now while it's not too late. Don't put it off a single second. The Bible says all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I'd like to invite you to pray with me right now to receive the Lord Jesus. Would you do that? Just pray this very simple prayer with me because you want to be sure, you want to have an assurance of your salvation. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, I do repent of all of my sins and I do not want to be left behind in this world when the Antichrist comes onto the scene and takes over. I want to be delivered in the name of Jesus. Come into my heart. I do believe, Jesus, that you died on the cross for me. And I do believe that God raised you from the dead. And I'm willing to confess with my mouth, Jesus, you are Lord. You are my Lord. And it's in your name I pray. Amen and amen.